How many of you are blessed tonight? Amen. What an outpouring of God's grace. Whew. I was sitting there. I thought, my stars, I can't get any better than this. Amen. Amen. And then, then I thought, I've got to follow this. <laughs> Man, Lord, what are you doing to me? I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area. It's called the People's Republic of California. I'm from the communist part of our country. Glory to God. I mean, I've got all the winners. I've got Barbara Pelosi. I mean, I've got Pelosi. A boxer. I mean, you name it, the list goes on. And I get to minister there. But I want to tell you, just we thank the Lord in spite of all the, the junk you hear. Right there in that Oakland area is the church that's trying to get it done. Trying to punch a few holes in the darkness. Shining the light as brightly as we can. And you would think that for such a liberal area that people would be very rejecting of what we preach. And we do get some pushback. But you know people want to hear the truth. We have a lot of mega churches in our area that have gone woke. And, uh, you know, some of them have people who've been, they've been around the Bible just a little bit. Wrong version, but they've been around the Bible. And they could pick it up. And so, you know, for the last two years, as we were going through the pandemic and out of the pandemic, people are just finding us because we're, we're, we hit, we've hit so many hard. And so they'll pick up a track. They'll find us on social media, and they're watching us for maybe a month, two months, three months, four months, five months, and then they show up at our door. And they said, they'll tell you something like this as you shake their hand on the way out. They said, well, you don't know this, but we've already vetted you out before we came here. And I said, you still want to come hear me? At, uh, but we're thankful what God's doing there, and uh, we're, I'm thankful God's placed there. You know, I'm, I just turned 65 this year, and my energy, my excitement, my enthusiasm for the work has not waned at all. I'm just so excited about what God's going to do. And so we're thankful for what God's done. I'm thankful to be a small part of this conference. More importantly, I'm very thankful to see just the outpouring of God's grace and what He's done here this week. The music's been off the chart. The giving has just been phenomenal. I mean, especially tonight, the 150000 raised for this dear Brother Reeser. What a blessing that is. Uh, I, I just, I mean, I just, at that moment, I wanted just to capture that, just halt for just a minute and think, Lord, what a great moment this is there. That's all been good. Well, let's take our Bibles and stand, please. Acts chapter 26. I promise not to keep you to 10 o'clock tonight. Maybe 11 o'clock. Brother Suglio came up to me tonight. He said, Brother Fong, do you remember me? I said, yeah, we just played some support for you. And he said, uh, he said, I remember when you came to Cleveland Baptist Church and you preached. And he said, we had a great service that night. I said, remember that service? He said, yeah, you, you preached about an hour that night. It was great. He said, we loved it. I said, everyone except the nursery workers. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm being conscientious of the nursery workers. All the ladies love that one, you know. <laughs> Acts 26, verse 13. Say amen if you're there. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Aren't you glad for the things you've seen? Amen. Aren't you glad there's a vision still for the future? Amen. The things which shall appear. Notice verse 17. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. 
to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. Now, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And he said that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Now, Paul is just giving to us the Lord's mission statement for his life. That's his mission statement. He was sent... And then notice in verse 19, he was in submission. It's really that simple. He sends you and you're to submit. And then he said this in verse 21. Now, that all sounds exciting. You read the job description. You read the mission statement. You get all fired up. Yep, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do it. Then Paul fast forwards for us several years of experience. And he said, for these causes, for preaching the gospel, For winning Jews, for winning Gentiles, starting churches, and I'm talking about starting from scratch. No faith promise, no church planners conference. He had none of that. He had to go to tent making. He said, for these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Welcome to the ministry. (laughs) Verse 22. This is my text for tonight. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. Having obtained help of God. We've come this week to get help from the Church Planners Conference. You've come this week to get money. What if you didn't get the money? You still got God. You said, well, Brother Gaddis and Brother Copes didn't have me come up. You still have God. Well, I didn't have my need address. I'm going home to skirt. You still have God. You don't understand, Brother Fong. I'm going back and I've got, I've got property that's near, near, they're, they're, they're going to condemn it. You have God. Paul said, in spite of all of those things, yeah. having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. Yeah. Our Father, tonight, we just asked for just these few moments I have with my friends here. The Good Heartland Baptist College, Baptist Bible College, the great Southwest Baptist Church church planners, preachers, missionaries, evangelists, the great church family here tonight. Father, we need you to meet with us. We thank you that you're the most high God. You're the possessor of heaven and earth. You're El Shaddai, God Almighty. Lord, we thank you. You're Jehovah Jireh, and you certainly have shown that the last two days. You're the Lord who provides. We thank you that you're immortal and invisible, the only wise God, to whom be glory and honor forever and ever. Dear Lord, I need enablement. I need strength for my weakness. Lord, I need adequacy for my inadequacy. I need your sufficiency for my insufficiency. Lord, I need power for my powerlessness. Lord, I need help of God. And we need help of God tonight. Before we leave, I pray that the Holy Spirit would take what's off these pages and give us what we need, that our communities and our cities and our country would be changed because of this conference. Lord, bless, we pray. Use this now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One simple word can rally people around you. Help. Help. Help is a distress call. Help is a call of desperation. It's a call of someone who is lacking resources. It is the call of someone who's trapped and in need of immediate rescue. Help. It's the call of someone 
whose ship or aircraft is in distress. Help. Help. We all need help. This conference is a help. Our churches are a help. You're a pastor. You're a help. You're a Christian. You're a help. We're all in the helping business. We're to help one another. We're to help our community. We're to help our government. We may not like things they do, but we're there to help them. We're there to help. Paul said, I've been in the ministry for a period of time, but I've learned one thing. I need help of God. I need help of God. I want you to notice tonight as we look at this passage of scripture, the word help is such an important word in the Bible. The word help is found 166 times in the Bible. The word sucker or sucker, depending on how you want to pronounce it, also means help. It's found six times in the Bible. In the Hebrew, they use the word azir, which describes help. Azir is used 82 times according to Strong's Concordance, 82 times in the Bible. We think of names that contain the name help. I think of the name Eliezer, which means God is my help. I think of the name Ebenezer, which means God is my helper or God helps us. We need help. The Bible was written because we are a needy people in need of help. And Paul, as he's writing this, here Paul has got an audience he could not have imagined ever having. All he wanted to do was get to, get, to, get to Jerusalem to tell the story and eventually get to Rome to tell his story there. And God orchestrates this whole situation where he's almost pulled apart. He orchestrates this situation. We come over to Acts chapter 26. He's standing before Porcius, uh, Porcius uh, Festus there, and he's standing there with King Agrippa, and he's giving his testimony, and it's amazing as you read through this from chapters 22 to 26, Paul is repeatedly giving his testimony of how he was saved, how he's called to the ministry, and then he gets down to the bottom, and he says, I just want you to know that the Jews wanted to kill me, but I've had help from God. I've had help from God. I want you to know something tonight. It doesn't matter what our situation be. You've got God. You have help of God. Notice some things tonight about this passage of Scripture. Notice, number one, we see Paul in his endeavors. Paul in his endeavors. Look at this passage here. Paul in his endeavors. Paul was a man who described himself as being consumed with zeal. Paul was a man that was on a mission. Even before he got saved, he was a man that was tightly wired. He was a man that had a type A personality. He's a man that when he got a focus, he was focused on doing something and getting it done. Notice we see in Paul, Paul's endeavors, we see that, that, that he was a man who had a malicious career. Here he is as a young man. Stephen, one of the greatest preachers of the New Testament, preaches his last sermon. He preaches this sermon and says, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. The people went in a frenzy. They laid their outer garments at the feet of Saul. Can you imagine that young man, the impression it made on his mind as he saw that frenzy? And he thought, that's exactly what I want to be. I don't want to be like him. I want to be like them. We fast forward, we go to Acts chapter 8. We find that Paul is a persecutor of the Christians. We find later on in Acts chapter 9, he's going after them. Paul was filled with malice. Paul was filled with hatred. I mean, you talk about a man that had hatred. He, whatever he could do to eradicate the Christian faith, that was his goal. He said in verse 11 by his own testimony, go back here for a minute to verse 11. He said in verse 11, I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Notice this, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange countries. He was, you, you mentioned the name Saul back at the time. It was associated with persecution. I mean, he had the favor of the high priest. He got letters, whatever he wanted. I mean, he just made, made it clear that I'm going after every Christian I can. He had a malicious career. He was a man with a mission. That was an endeavor. But thank God, we see a man who had a malicious career, but thank God for his miraculous conversion. Amen. Amen. We have his conversion right now. Aren't you glad tonight that God's in the business saving sinners? Aren't you glad that you're saved tonight? Aren't you glad when you think about your background, I think about my background, where we were at and what we could have been. Jesus Christ came down in his mercy and saved us. Oh, here's Paul with a malicious intent going there to Damascus of Syria. He's got these letters in his hand. He's got an entourage with him. They're going into that city. They're thinking we're going to go in there. and We're going to take these Christians and we're going to snuff them out. And we're going to find them. And along the way, God knocks them off his horse. 
I wonder tonight for a conference like this, God not, needs to knock us off our horse. He knocked him off his horse, and the Bible says he saw a shining light from heaven. Brighter than the sun. Well, of course it's brighter than the sun. He's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. Amen. And Paul could point to his conversion experience there. Who art thou, Lord? Who art thou, Lord? Miraculous conversion. My maternal mother passed away when I was about four years of age. I still remember the funeral service for my mother. My father was just grieving and he held me and picked me up and said, let's go see your mommy. I mean, I still can remember that. And, uh, and she had a heart, heart problem when she was young and, and uh, she never made it out of the surgery. I didn't know all the details about that. And, of course, some four years, I, I didn't comprehend all that. The grief was very heavy for my dad. He said, Alan, I want you on the weekdays to stay with your grandmother and grandfather in West Oakland. I'll pick you up on Fridays, and uh, we'll spend the weekends together. That went on for about two, three years before my dad remarried. I turned five, I turned six. And dad told me one day, he says, Alan, I'm going to enroll you in a Catholic school. I didn't know what a Catholic school was. And so he said, I'm going to tell you, you're going to have to wear a uniform, all that kind of stuff they had to do. So. And so from first grade to eighth grade, all I knew as far as religion and God was concerned was the Catholic faith. I thought that's all there was. And if you were anything other than Catholic, there was something wrong with you. That's all I knew. Hey, I was number one in catechism. I was an altar boy in third grade. In fact, my very first mass they asked me to do, I had to be there for, I think, a 7 o'clock service. I, I remember as a third grade boy, and this is in Oakland. Of course, it wasn't as bad then as it is now. Taking AC transit bus at 4.30 in the morning. My dad said, what are you doing getting up at this time? I, I said, well, they told me I'm supposed to do altar boy duties. And he got upset about that. He said, well, wouldn't you tell me? So I would have drove you. And I said, it's okay, Dad. It's 15 cents. I'll pay my token and go in. Yeah, I did all of it. We moved to a different part of Oakland. I really wanted to go to Catholic high school. Because I like to, I like to play basketball. My dad said, hey, we can't afford that. We're moving to a different part of Oakland. I got larger house payments. He said, I can't afford that. You're going to public school. First week of school, I'm sitting at, the wrong, at a table with a bunch of seventh graders when I'm supposed to be with the ninth graders. I didn't know that. I come out of Catholic school. We didn't have more than 100 students. I'm in a, I'm in a public school that had probably about 2,000 students. A boy comes up to me. His name was Billy. He says, hey, what are you doing there? Why don't you come sit with the ninth graders? Bill had just gotten saved out of a Methodist background. Gave me first time ever in my life. I got a gospel track. But Gaddis, I looked at that thing. I looked at that track. It had the plan of salvation on it. Amen. I didn't understand it. But I couldn't put it down. My friend Bill, for three months, persistently asked me every week to go to church and would start witnessing to me. Every week, without fail. Well, he had some competition because another one of our friends wanted me to join the Boy Scouts. So one wanted me to go to church, one wanted me to go to the Boy Scouts. Bill prevailed because he was persistent. Just, just a thought as a soul winner, be persistent. Amen. Don't give up. I went to church with him. Preacher got up. I don't know who was talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but that's what the preacher preached on that morning. It was the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I like to use their Hebrew names. I don't like using Babylonian names, if you know what I mean. Amen. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Okay. He preached. I sat right here the second row. Invitation was given. I wanted to get out of there as quickly as I could. <laughs> Holy Spirit was working all over me. Amen. But I didn't feel I was ready to get saved. In fact, I sent back my mind. I said, they're not going to convert me. All I know is Catholicism. You know what, I, my friend Bill called me that Saturday. Every Saturday for three months, he called me and asked me to go to church. He called me again that Saturday. He said, Are you, hey, we're going to come by to pick you up. I said, don't come by. He said, what's wrong? Didn't you like it? I said, I liked it, but don't come by. I was, I was convicted. Yeah. Right. Praise the Lord. I said, but I'm not going. We had those old rotary phones. How many remember the old rotary phones? Amen. How many young people ever seen a rotary phone? Okay. <laughs> Every church out of a museum with a rotary phone in it. Amen. <laughs> or maybe when we used to have pay phones in our churches, right? Yeah. 
I had put down the rotary phone. We had our family room downstairs. The living space, bedrooms were upstairs. I went upstairs 7.30 night Saturday. My friend, Bill, I could tell, was very disappointed. I'd walked upstairs. The doorbell rings. Who in the world? Dad says, go answer it. I said, Dad, this is Oakland. He says, go answer it. I said, yes, sir. Open the doors. It was, a, it was a ninth grade boy Sunday school teacher I had that Sunday before. The ninth grade teacher had gone to Bible college back in the day, Tennessee Temple Schools, back in the day. He had just graduated. Who's on fire for God? Dr. Lee Robertson was the pastor at that time, 1970, 1971, something like that. He said, Pastor asked me to come by to see you. I didn't know this guy from Adam. I remembered his first name, and I remembered him. He said, can I guys come on in? Listen, I argued with him. I mean, I argued with him. I'm a ninth grade boy. I argued with him for two and a half hours on that couch. It got about 10 o'clock. He said, hey, now I've answered every question you've, you've asked me from the Word of God, the Bible. And he did. He said, but you haven't answered my question. By that time, I forgot what the question was. <laughs> How many have been there, Raymond? I said, what's your question? He said, if you died right now, where are you going to go? Well, he just had given me a, a short lesson on the doctrine of hell. He was getting frustrated with me, if you know what I mean. I think he was thinking, he was a black belt in, in, in karate. I think he was thinking, if you don't die and go to hell, I'm going to beat you up and put, you're going to go to hell. You know? you know what? God got a hold of me, that conviction I had the week before. I said, I guess I'm going to hell. He says, don't you want to get saved? I'm thankful December 4th, 1971, I got saved. Miraculous conversion. Miraculous conversion. Because I think about my sinful tendencies even at ninth grade and where I could have been. Hey, Paul had a miraculous conversion. Paul had a malicious career. But notice, Paul had a missionary's calling. Now, what I really love about Paul... He got his conversion, and then he got his calling. And he, he gives us his calling here, and, you know, you know it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. But remember, Paul is an endeavor. His endeavor was to arrest Christians and to persecute and put them to death, but he's got a higher, more important endeavor now. Instead of arresting Christians, he's arresting the attentions of people to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Lord, the Lord gives him his calling. He gives him his job description. He tells him, I'm, this is where I'm going to send you. He tells him his purpose. He tells him about the people. He says here, uh, let me see here. Look at uh, chapter 26. He says, I'm, uh, he says, I'm going to send you to the people. He says, you're going to go to Jews and Gentiles alike. And then your priority in verse 18 is to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then you know what Paul's response to that? was, he said, yes, sir, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but as I listened to the preaching this week, missing my vision on some things have been enhanced, and my vision has been expanded, and I'm getting some fresh thoughts about some new things I want to do. Listen, conferences like these are energizing just to give us a fresh Amen. heavenly vision. And when we get that vision, we cannot be disobedient to that heavenly vision. A missionary's calling. Man, you got a missionary's calling. you got a calling to the ministry. Listen, you think about this. In the ministry, it's, it's all about one thing. We never have captured all of the market share. Our entire city is our market share. Our entire community is our market share. And Paul is thinking, man, I went after here and I went after there. I mean, God wants me to go to this place and this place and this place. He said, I want you to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Hey, listen, what a great opportunity. Amen. Sometimes we look at, well, I don't know the people there, and I don't know this, I don't know that. No, but you know God. And you know he sent you. And you know he's, you know he's empowered you. And you know he's given you the priority what to do. Hey, listen, he has a mystery's call. All I'm trying to say tonight is Paul is in his endeavor. But notice number two. Paul is endangered. Paul is endangered. Look at verse 21. He said, for these causes... The Jews caught me in the temple. He's talking about chapter 22. Who am about to kill me? From the get-go, 
starting at Damascus, Assyria, Paul encountered danger. Now, if you think you have an experience, come see me if you've been let down by a wall in a basket. That's your introduction to the ministry. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, he went to Antioch of Pisidia later on, and the Jews raised persecution against him and Paul, Barnabas. And then he goes to Iconium, then assault was made. But the Bible says he stayed there a long time. And then he goes there to Derby and Lister, and while he's preaching there, listen, on one hand, they, they accepted him with gratitude, and they were, they were thankful that this lame man got healed. But later on, those same Jews that were, that, that, that were against him at Antioch of Pisidia, they came in Iconium, they found their way down there to Derby and Lystra, and then they drew Paul out the city, and they stoned him and left him for dead. I mean, here's a man who's in danger. Every place he went to, he was in danger. You fast forward from there and he goes to Philippi. I love the story there in Acts chapter 16 of, of, the, of, the, of the birthing of the church there at Philippi. And listen, you get, a, you get a lady saved and talk about a church planner's dream. A lady gets saved and she opens up her home and now you've got a meeting place for the church. I mean, glory to God. You get a teenager that's demon-possessed saved. How many understand all teenagers demon-possessed? Amen. <laughs> The moment they turn 12, they're demon-possessed. It's a mess. That's why we need youth pastors, amen? He rescues this girl. She gets saved. Now, the devil's market share is affected. Hey, by the way, we're in the business to put the devil out of business. That's why we need to go win souls. We win souls because we're trying, to, we're trying to get somebody from going to hell to get them to go to heaven. Amen. We're trying to deliver them from being in the drug business, getting into, getting into the business of winning other people to Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why we do what we do. And I don't know about you, but it's sickening and it's very disturbing that in our cities, there are more marijuana dispensaries being opened up in all of our cities than we're seeing our people go out and win souls to Jesus Christ. Listen, we, we, we watch these marijuana dispensaries. They're opening up. They're all cash businesses, and they're thriving with money. People are flocking their way there. Man, when, these, when you see those kind of things, you need to think, we need to get more people out there and so many. We need to knock on more doors. I mean, it's sickening. And Paul, Paul's taking the market share from the devil there, and the people get all riled up there. They take them aside. They beat them up. They, they beat them. He's, you know, he's put in stocks. He's put in prison. He's no stranger to danger. He leaves there, goes to Thessalonica, and he hasn't been there three Sabbath days. He's endangered again. They get him down to Berea. He's endangered again. He's down there by himself at Athens, and he gets bold. He said he saw the city wholly given to idolatry, and he got up and started preaching the gospel by himself. By the way, aren't you glad for the holy bonus the Holy Spirit gives you? Yes. And he goes from there, and he goes to Corinth, and they, listen, they, they, they have a riot there, and Ephesus has a riot there. I mean, everywhere he went, the, Paul's life was endangered. And he said, for these causes... The Jews set about the temple to kill me. Do you believe in your cause enough that you die for it? Come on now. Do you believe in winning souls enough? Just like the brother this morning that made the presentation, his son, 15-year-old son's out knocking doors and someone took a gun and shot at him. Or like one of, one, of my, one, of my, one of my staff members was street preaching, was out by one of our BART stations and preaching the gospel to draw a crowd. He'd been very good at drawing a crowd there. And uh, he saw a crime going on. He tried to avert the crime. Next thing you know, he gets, he gets hit in the face. For these causes, the Jews set about to kill me. And then you read, you read later on, Paul is just talking about the grace of God all over 2 Corinthians. And you get to 2 Corinthians 11, and Paul just is wearing his heart. He's telling them, listen, if you think the, these false teachers, these false apostles are telling you they've had some experience, let me tell you about my experiences. And he goes you over there to 2 Corinthians 11. Notice these words that Paul uses. He says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. And labor is more abundant. Listen to this. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. But this, this next phrase really gets me. In deaths, often. <laughs> Paul's in danger. Hey, we wouldn't have the gospel where it's at today if Paul had, had not been in danger. For these causes. Hey, I'm going to tell you, preacher, tonight, keep on having the building programs. I want to tell you tonight, keep on promoting soul winning. 
I want to, I'm going to encourage you tonight to keep on having friend days and, and, and big Easter Sundays and, and having big days in church and reaching people for Christ. I want to encourage you to keep having kids camps and keep having vacation Bible schools and whatever it takes to reach a crowd and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For these causes, why are these causes? These are people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, how many understand our nation is a pagan nation? Where we're at right now in California, and talk to all the California preachers about this. We are so pagan in our school systems. The average child, by the time they get to sixth grade, they have no concept of God. We have one right now. I just want, we just want a lady to Christ. She came with her husband to my 830 service. It was one of those very unusual, God, God just came down that 830. It's not that he doesn't come down at all, but he came down unusually in the 830 service. Had eight people saved in that service. No big day. One of us, this lady, she's, uh, she's Vietnamese and, you know, she has a little bit of a, of a Buddhist background and she came with her husband and, and, and I got a little bit preview from one of our children, children's workers about this situation and her daughter is just having trouble and her daughter who has gone from 6th to 7th grade, as the gospel was given to her, got agitated and upset. She says, I don't want to hear about this because I believe in science. I don't believe in God. I'll tell you something, where I'm at in California, that's the norm, not the exception. That's why we need churches. The mother is heartbroken. She got saved, heard the gospel, and got saved that morning. Amen. It's danger. Hey, listen, if you're, a, if you're a nurse in California, I don't know about the other parts of the country, I assume in New York as well. If you're a nurse in California and you work in a hospital, they're going to try to force you to perform or get, be involved with an abortion. And I want to tell you tonight, thank God for some nurses in our churches that are modern-day Shifra and Puas that won't do those kind of things. I've got two nurses, they're sisters at one of our major county hospitals. There's a government uh, subsidized hospital. Both of them are in management position. They have been pressured numerous times and they've taken a stand. They said, I'd rather take a demotion or I'd rather leave my job or you can fire me. I'm not going to be involved with an abortion. You're going to be in danger if you're going to have a job. I've got a deacon right now who is in a, who's in a principal position of, of a company that he's in. He's been there for many, many years. And all this diversity inclusion business, which I think there's some good stuff to it, but most of it has is, is got, got a different agenda, if you know what I mean behind that. They started going off on stuff, and, as, and, and, and he knew that this would go against management and everybody else, and he put out a message out there. He said, I want you to know, while I, while I understand you have your concerns, I want you to know, whatever your opinion is, that doesn't reflect me, because I'm a born-again Christian. Jesus Christ is my Savior. That is not my direction. That is not my belief. And listen, he got persecuted at work because of that. He called me up, and another man, we had prayer on the phone on a Monday night. He said, I just want to let you know. He says, I could lose my job, and he says, I'm already prepared for that, and he's been with the company over 20 years. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be in danger if you're going to live for Jesus Christ. If you're, you're a student in the public school system, you're going to be in danger. If you give a gospel track out, you're going to be censured by your, by your teachers. I've got, I've got little second graders and third graders. They get all fired up about friend days and special days. And, you know, we have these little children tracks. We, we, I tell my children's workers, I want them to give out to the children. And they give it out there. I have one I'm thinking of right now, two sisters. In their public school, one in third grade, one in sixth grade, gave out some gospel tracks. And they invited some to come. And, the, and one of the teachers saw them giving out at recess time, confiscated all the tracks and, and then publicly took that girl and embarrassed her in front of all of her friends. She got so traumatized as her parents tried to calm her down. She said, I don't think I ever want to give one of these out again. Oh. I had prayer with the mother and father. I said, let's pray that God overcomes that. And then I said, why don't you call a meeting with the principal and have a stand there. You take the first meeting. If you don't get anywhere with that, then bring me in. And we're going to have a meeting. <laughs> hey, the principal conceded. Guess what? She said, now, here's the problem. We don't want you doing it unfairly. We give one here, and you don't get, you got to give it to everybody. So the dad picked up on, he's got a sewing stuff. He says, so you're telling me we can give a gospel track with a balloon to all the kids in the room? Yep, that's right. Guess what they did the next day? But I'm telling you, in this day and age, you're going to be in danger if you're going to live for Jesus Christ. You want to run a bus route in a tough area? You're endangered. You're going to knock on doors in a Section 8 housing? You're endangered. You want to go after drug dealers like the brother said this morning? You're endangered. And by the way, we need to go after them. Somebody's got to reach them. Hey, the Neos are not going to reach them. The life churches are not going to reach them. The community churches are not going to reach them. By the way, how many of you figured out most of these mega churches, all they're doing is trading members from church to church to church. They're not, out, they're not getting organic growth. They're not winning souls. The only one winning souls are the Baptist churches. Somebody help me with that. Come on. 
I'm just saying, hey, you look at Paul. Paul was in danger. But listen, he said, for these causes, the Jews said about to kill me. Listen, if you're going to do anything for Jesus Christ, just count the risk. There's risk involved. Risk involved. Thank God for the money we raise, and thank God for the grace of God that's come down. But listen, God gives us all that to bolster us and encourage us and get us ready for the next big thing. Well, listen, tonight, number one, we see Paul in his endeavors. Number two, we see Paul in danger. But notice the main point this morning, this evening. Would you notice in verse 22, we see Paul is enabled. Having therefore obtained help of God. Hey, Paul was neck deep in trouble in this passage. He was neck deep in trouble. Paul was hated. Public enemy number one. Paul was always in danger. I mean, how many shipwrecks? Prisons often. Deaths often. Stripes above measure. And Paul did not go hide somewhere and decided, you know, I need to take a couple of Advil and go hide myself somewhere. Paul just recognized this is just part of the ministry. This is part of what I'm supposed to do. And he said, you know what? I really don't have anything else to do. I don't have a counselor to go to. But he said, I have this. He said, I've got help of God. He said, I've got help of God. Listen, you think about Damascus. How did he get down that wall? He had help of God. You think about there in Antioch Pisidius, the Jews gave him resistance, pushed back. He had help of God. You think about there in Lystra when he was down there bleeding and blood was coming out of his head and he had broken bones and maybe his face was disfigured. He was all messed up from the stoning. And listen, he got back up. And I just imagine all those, all those brothers and sisters. I imagine Timothy and Lois and Eunice and Barnabas are standing around in those few new converts around there. And they're saying, listen, Paul, you can't stay down. Paul, you've got to get up. Come on, Paul, get up. Come on, Paul, get up. That's why you come to conference like that, because you get a preacher like Burton Gates or a preacher like Jason Gaddis or like Sam Davison. We get around you and says, come on, man, you can get up. Come on, you can get up. Paul got up. But he didn't get up because he had the cheering on. He had got up because he had help from God. Listen, you're a church planter. You're here today. And you may be discouraged about this, the place you're going back to. You may be discouraged that things are going too slow. I want to tell you tonight, you've got help of God. Yep. Let me tell you some things about the help of God. Turn your Bible to Psalms 124. Number one, would you notice in Psalms 124, there's a sufficiency of the help of God. Mark this down. The help of God is never inadequate. The help of God never comes short. The help of God is always on the way. The help of God is always on time. The help of God is, just as the brother sang tonight, is faithful. In Psalm 124, notice what he says in verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, aren't you glad God is on your side? Amen. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, now may Israel say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they had swallowed us up quick when their wrath was kindled against us. He's saying here, it was bad, but it could have gotten worse. Always remind yourself that no matter how bad it is, it could always be worse. Then he said in verse 4, Then the waters had overwhelmed us, and the streams had gone over our soul. That's how some of us feel sometimes. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Then he said this, Blessed be the Lord who's not given us as prey to their teeth. Our soul is escaped as a bird out of the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken, we are escaping. I love verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord. 121, verse 1 and 2, I will lift up my eyes into the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord. I tell you, the help of God is sufficient. Notice 2 Samuel 23, the help of God is supernatural. The story there. Eliezer, David, piece of land, probably barley field, military conflict. First thing you want to do is devastate your food sources. They devastate your infrastructure, they devastate your food sources. Philistines come in, they say, let's let's take their barley fields. That's their staple. All the men run away. David's there defending that field. David said, I'm not going to give it up. I remind you tonight, don't give up your church. Don't give up your constitution. Don't give up your Bible. Don't give up your stand on the King James Version. Don't give up your your stand on separation. 
okay? I, I'm, I'm, I go to some places, and, and, and I'm amazed. It, it just seems like nobody wants to talk about separation anymore. Hey, separation in the Bible. I go to some places, they say, well, so when he's too hard. Well, of course it's hard. You've got to work at it. What do you think the church pays you for, amen? And Eliezer comes alongside of comes alongside of David, and they're defending this field. And the Bible says something interesting. Would you notice in, in, in 2 Samuel 23? It says his hand grew weary. You're going to get weary sometimes of doing things. You're going to get weary coming to conferences. You're going to get weary preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. You're going to get weary of the same problems. You're going to get weary of the same people who don't listen to what, what is being preached. Like the preacher talked about this morning, Brother Montoro talked about. They don't listen, and their house is, is just, they never make it through the storms there. And you're going to get weary of the problem. You're going to get weary of the debt. You're going to get weary of the fact you can't raise the offering. You're going to get weary that the attendance is down. You're going to get weary that people are migrating to a different part of the country. You're going to get weary. But notice the other part of this. As his hand grew weary, the Bible says his hand claved to the sword. And I'm going to tell you tonight, when you think about the word cleave, it literally means this. It means his hand was fused to his sword. It became one with the sword. Listen, we ought to be such Bible preachers. We ought to be so involved in our churches that we're one with our Bible. We're one with our church. We're one with our Savior, Jesus Christ. His hand claimed to the sword. Listen, hold on to the book. Hold on to the sword. Keep preaching out that King James Version Bible. You said, well, could there be another version? Why would you want another version? You got the version. Why do you want something better when you've got it? There's nothing better. You've got it. You need to cleave to the sword. You need to cleave to the sword. But listen, if I stop there, if I stop there, it, sound, it would sound like, humanistically, that Eliezer overcame all that. No, read the rest of it. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And by the way, his name means, my God is my helper. The help of God is supernatural. It works in unusual ways. The help of God works when we're weary. The help of God works when we're weak. The help of God works when we have worry. How many worry? Don't raise your hand. But notice what Paul said there. The help of God sustains. Having obtained help of God, I continue this day. How many of you heard somebody say, pray for me, brother, that I finish strong. You won't finish strong if you don't have help of God. No, you're not. No, you're not. Having obtained help of God, I continue this day. 2007, our church, I submitted a, um, our, our property is a miracle property where we're at. It's just how we obtained the property. We were only, our church was only probably two years old, how God gave us a property. It's a whole different story another time. Church was growing. So was going to say, people being at it. We're in about, just around three acres of land. And at that time we had, I think, um, maybe 22,000 square feet of building space. The auditorium we were using at the time probably could seat about 350 people or so. As church was growing, I started thinking, well, I, better, I better start thinking about how we're going to expand on our property and kind of thinking out a few years. So I worked on a master site plan, strategic plan there, worked on it, spent about $70,000, $80,000 with our architect to work on this. We just at a point with the building, the, uh, the building department at San Leandro, went over all the plans and everything and had the architect there. And then I brought one other man, one of our men in our church who was also an architect. And we just, three of us there, and you know, they said, well, we've got this thing down. And I said, well, let's have prayer one more time before we go in. I don't know how this is going to work out. And as we went in, they introduced themselves. The second person I was introduced to happened to be the city attorney. I thought, why is the city attorney in this meeting? And my business background made me a little bit suspicious about this. So, I, so we went on and made the presentation in the... And the, the planning department man was very cordial, but he was right to the point. He said, Mr. Fong. And he called me Pastor Fong. He said, Mr. Fong. I knew it was a problem. He said, Mr. Fong, he says, these are elaborate plans you've given. That was problem number two. I said, he called it elaborate plans. He says, uh, I'm sorry, but we cannot approve these. I said, why? Well, we found out later on because there was a lawsuit going on. There was a charismatic church that was suing the city for some reason. So they basically were not letting any, any church expand on, in San Leandro. Mm-hmm. We tried for another hour to go around circles, different ways. They said, we're not going to let you build. 
And I'm sitting there thinking, this is, we're, not, we're not going anywhere with this. And I, I thought, man, I've just spent $70,000 of church money, and what am I going to tell the church? <laughs> what am I to tell the deacons? I'm feeling about this big. You ever feel that way? I wasn't thinking about, you know, I'm going to quit and all this stuff. By the way, get that out of your mind. Amen. Just, you know, roll the punches. Amen. Boss, feel about this big. I got up and I thought, well, do I give them a Baptist response? Or do I give them a Christian response? And I said this, I don't agree with you. I said, you're wrong. I'm not going to fight you. We'll see each other again. That's all I said. A week later, they called me back up. They said, hey, Mr. Fall, we were thinking about your situation. I started getting encouragement there. They said, uh, you know, now, my, 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 my plan was for a three-phase plan to add another 25,000 square feet, say something like that, maybe 26,000 square feet of space over three phases. And they said, we thought about your situation We'll let you build a 10 by 14. I said, 10 by 14? That's a restroom. That's a bathroom. We've been about bathrooms this week, right? You know? I mean, I did. I said, that's a bathroom. I said, well, thank you for being thoughtful, but that's not going to work. Six months, it was on Thursday afternoon, they told me no. Six months to the day, Thursday afternoon, I got a phone call. Mr. Fong, we've been thinking about your situation again. First thing came to my mind is 10 by 14, bathroom. <laughs> Maybe we're going to double it, you know? We're going to let you build two phases, not three. I said, I'll take it. Because I thought, we're going to get that third phase, because by the time I get to the third phase, you'll all be dead. Yeah. <laughs> I voted out. <laughs> you got to be optimistic now, come on. Got to be visionary. Come on. That's right. Lord's enabled us to put up $8 million of buildings between 2013 and 2018. Amen. Brother Sam's preached there. Brother Gaddis has preached Some of my friends in here in the studio have preached here. Hopefully some of you who I hope to have you come out, you'll get a chance to preach there. We don't have a sanctuary like this, but we have a multi-use room. The first boom went up was a kind of a combination gymnasium, kitchen, and things like that. Halfway through construction, I told the men, I said, guys, I hate to tell you this, uh, we got to make a major modification right now. We're moving the services into here. I said, why are you doing that? Because I said, I can't cast vision in that old building the way I can in this new building. That's what God put in my heart. I said, you you got to keep casting vision about this. So we made changes. We added 100,000 of wiring and lighting and everything else that you got to do there to get it conducive for service here. How did that all happen? I had help with God. Is Randy Donahue here? Randy, are you here? Is he here, Pastor? He's here. Let me tell you a story. Where's Randy? Randy, stand up and raise your hand. Let me see where you're at. I don't even know you. I never met you. Hey, hey, three months ago, let me say three or four months ago, Randy sent me a text message. Pastor told him to contact me. Randy's father at a business partner about 20 minutes from where my church is at. Randy called. I called back. We texted. The man in my area, they said, was very sick and possibly, possibly not, might not make it. I said, give me the information as quick as you can. Give me in contact with his wife. Give me all the contact information you can. I'll contact immediately. That was on a Monday. I still have all the notes on that. I contacted, I'll just give you first names. I contacted Charles' wife, and she says, oh, yes, we know Randy's father. And she said, sure, if you're a pastor, could you come by? I said, I need to come by. I said, can I come by tomorrow, which is Tuesday? She said, fine. Arranged me to come at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't know what condition this man was in. I didn't know anything about his condition. I come to the door at 1 o'clock. The wife, Adele, is not there. I think, what's going on? She said she's going to meet me at 1 o'clock. Her daughter opened the door and said, who are you? And, you know, very, you know, just kind of a little pushback there. And I told her who I was, and I said, well, Adela, she said, that's my mom. Adela said, you can, 
uh, told me to come by. I said to her, I need to come see your, your, her husband. She said, well, that's my, my, my stepfather right there. You can see him. And I walked in, and I knew immediately we were in a very dire situation. The hospice bed was in the living room. You know what I'm talking about? You preachers know what I'm talking about? It, it, this, is, this is really like a step between me and death. His brother sent a cross for him. He didn't know me from Adam. There was a coldness in that room. I felt great satanic oppression as I walked in that room. I went around and tried to talk to him, try to get response on nothing. Completely unconscious. Now, I know he could hear me, but there's no responsiveness. Finally, Adela came in about 10 minutes later. She said, oh, Pastor Fah, I'm sorry I'm late, so forth, so forth. I said, come over here. I need your help a little bit here. Maybe we'll respond better to you. We, we tried another 30 minutes. No response from this man. Now, if you're a pastor and you make a visit like that, you're feeling the pressure. Because you know that man's soul hangs in eternity. And if you don't have a pit bull attitude about that, he's going to die and go to hell. So I said, um, Adela, there's too many people here today, and I want to be respectful of the family. I said, do you have time tonight for me to call you? She said, sure. I waited to 7 o'clock. I prayed that afternoon. I got my car. Man, I'm burdened. I mean, I was just burdened. I had tears coming down my face. I was driving back home, and I thought, my God, you've got to save this man, Lord. I said, Lord, I need your help. I got on the phone at 7 o'clock. And I told her, I told her why I came, why I needed to come back, and I told her how to get saved. This is all by telephone. Adela listened. She said, Pastor, I agree with everything you said. Can I accept Jesus Christ right now as my Savior? Amen. Adela got saved at 745. She said, come back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. I'll be there. Traffic's bad going that direction, so I left almost an hour earlier. I prayed up that morning, and I played with God. I said, God, you've got to help us. I said, God, you've got to help us. I said, it's not about me, Lord. It's about him. I got the door different from the day before. She opened the door as I came in. How many have experienced this? You knew the presence of God was here. God was in that room. I walked in there. I said, how did you do last night? She said, you'd be surprised. She said, he, uh, he actually... He just made minimal responses. I said, well, how's he doing this morning? She said, well, and I, and I prayed that morning. I said, Lord, he's got to have one surge of strength before he goes. Lord, give him one surge of strength before he goes. And I said, let it be when I'm there. And I coached her what to do. I texted her last, the night before, and I coached her what to do when I'm there. She went on one side, and I stood next to her. I said, why don't you hold his hand? Charles, can you squeeze my hand? He squeezed her hand. We got no response the day before. And slowly, slowly, impatiently, I gave him the gospel. And between squeezing of the hand and some grunting, he heard the gospel. I went over it again to make sure he understood. And I went over it again to make sure he understood. Then I said, Adele, you need to ask him. Is he, is he ready now to repent of his sins and tell Jesus he believes he's the only way to heaven? He squeezed her hand twice very hard. She says, I think he's ready. This man accepted Christ as Savior, praying in his heart and squeezing her hand along the way to let us know he wanted to get saved. He says, how do you know? Because you know. You know. You're out when he sows, you know. She said, hey, we bought some bread. Why don't you sit down and have some bread? I said, that's okay. No, she said, have some bread and coffee. Well, you know, when she said coffee, of course I'll sit down. Amen, you know? <laughs> I'm a coffee addict. They take a blood draw on me. All, all comes out is caffeine. Amen, you know? <laughs> it was really good bread, by the way, you know, that she had. And we chit-chat a little bit. And I tried to get the gospel into her daughter, tried to lead her daughter to Christ. And Adele is just really happy. She said, Pastor, I know, I know he got saved today. She says, I know he got saved today. I said, let's go pray with him. And I put my mouth next to him. Now, he had, he had a, a very serious disease. It was very contagious. I had to be a little careful with that. I got close to him with my mask on. 
because he, he kept coughing a little bit there every now and then. But he didn't cough at that moment. He had his, I, said, I said, hey, Charles, did you, did you ask Jesus to save you so you can go to heaven? I kid you not. He had a smile that went from this to this. And, <clears throat> she said, he got saved. I said, yeah, he did get saved. <laughs> Have him obtained help of God. Hey, this Sunday, hey, this Sunday, a few months ago, that Sunday I told you about earlier, I had eight, eight adults trust Christ or save my 830 service. Okay. Of the eight, there were three there that got saved two weeks before that brought their family of five other adults that got saved. So the family of three originally came two weeks before. The husband, his father on Christmas Sunday, had a massive stroke. They had to airlift him from the city he was at, which is about 45 minutes from our church, to Stanford Medical, which is about, I guess by airlift, probably about an hour and a half away. They got him into a rehab center near our area. Johnny, the, the husband, came and says, Pastor, he said, uh, do, do you think you can visit my dad? I said, sure will. So another one of my men I've been training and working with, he said, Pastor, let's, let's go right after service. I said, well, let's just do it. Went up to the rehab center, and again, a very difficult situation. This man, the stroke, it basically paralyzed his voice. He can't talk. He's got paralysis in his, in his body. And, and we went in there, and Michael and I tried to talk to him, and we, got no, we just couldn't get, we couldn't get any. And he'd squeeze my hand, but as I gave the gospel, he'd let loose. I said, and, and I, I would give him the gospel again, and then he let loose. And so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like this again. I'm just feeling, Lord, you've got to help me with this man, because he can't talk. A few minutes later, Johnny comes in with his wife. They try to talk to him. And he still, he would hold and then he let go. He'd hold and let go. Johnny's sister, who's not saved, she came in. She said, Pa, this is Pastor. She's not saved. She said, Pastor wants to tell you how to go to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven? He started squeezing my hand. Listen to what Pastor has to tell you. He listened. She translated for me, told him what to, in, in, in their dialect, in their language. He got saved. Amen. Now, I walked out of there maybe 15 minutes before, and I, I looked at my, my, my church member, Michael. My, I said, Michael, I don't know if he's going to get saved today. But I'm going to tell you what happened there. We obtained help of God. Hey, let me tell you something. I'm done. You need help of God. You need help of God. You need help of God to have a thriving soul winning program. You need help of God to win your city to Christ. You need help of God to claim wherever, God, you know, do like Joshua and, and where God said, every place to sow your foot should tread upon, that have I given to you. Amen. You need help of God to steward those funds that you raised this week for his glory. You need help of God. If you didn't get your name called and you didn't raise funds, listen, you, you need help of God. I, I just think tonight we need to determine we need help of God. We need help of God in our prayer lives. We need help of God in, in, in being faithful. We need help of God in raising our families. We need help of God in getting into our public school systems and making a difference. Listen, we need help of God of some of God's people getting into these, these civic positions. And listen, instead of the, the homos and everybody else taking control there of our city government, we need some born-again fundamental Baptists getting involved with city government and making a difference there. Let's change the policies on that. Listen, we need help of God if we're going to change the politicians' hearts. And we need help of God if we're going to do inner city ministries. And we need help of God if we're going to run a bus ministry somewhere. And we've got to have some faith. And thank God for faith. But listen, with that faith, you need the help of God. Amen. You need the help of God. Amen. Paul said, having obtained help of God, I continue this day. Yes. Do you need God's help tonight? Yes. Don't you want God's help tonight? Yes. Don't you want God's help for your faith? Don't you want God's help to raise your children? Don't you want God's help for your family and for your marriage? Don't you want God's help for your church? Don't you want God's help for families that are suffering your church? Listen, Paul said, having obtained, listen, for these causes, they sought to kill me. But having obtained help of God, I continue to stay. I think tonight all of us need to be down here. We need the help of God. Amen. Our Lord, tonight we thank you for the help of God. I thank you sufficient help. I thank you supernatural help. I thank you sustaining help. Lord, you know all, all of us as pastors and evangelists and missionaries and church planners, church members and all alike. Lord, we need the help of God.
Forgive us for trying to do things in our power. We need the help of God. Lord, you help us to go back to our cities with God's help. To win those cities to Christ. Lord, you help us tonight to identify the hardest sinners in our, in our city, the member, maybe family members of our congregation. We're so hardened with God's help, praying for the most impossible people to get saved. God, would you help some preacher tonight who's going through the storms, the deep waters, they need help of God. Would you help some young man tonight who's vacillating as to whether his position's right or he should follow some new idea or turn to pragmatism for his life? Would you help someone, Lord, who's waving on their doctrine? Someone there, God, who's thinking of just that, that maybe the King James Bible is, is that, that our position is not right. Would you help them, give them help of God tonight? Give us help of God for our convictions. Give us help of God with holy boldness. Give us help of God for our marriages, raising our children. Oh, Lord, thank you tonight. Having help of God, we can continue this day. Lord, tonight, maybe somebody here needs to get saved. This pastor gives the invitation. Thank God you can give them help. You can get them down the sound. They can get saved tonight. Know that they're going to heaven. I wonder tonight, are you somebody here? You're not saved? You're not saved, but you need to get saved? You need the help of God tonight. You'd say, Pastor Fong, I'm not sure I'm saved, but I want to get saved. You'd raise your hand and say, tonight, I want to know how to get saved. I want to know for sure how I can find my way to heaven through Jesus Christ. Anyone like that tonight? Balcony, down below. Let's make our way tonight. We need help of God, Pastor.